Good morning. So our, pretty much our whole staff is down in Joshua Springs, California. There was a conference we went to. I was down there, came back last night. And then we're flying out uh, tonight to another conference in Philadelphia. So if you would pray that the Lord keeps the airplane in the air. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, they, they're coming back tonight, but uh, really neat conference, but just really more for our staff to be together and, and spend time together. So, um, and, bef- and then you know about the prayer requests, the prayer cards. So we have our prayer bowl and a trumpet bowl. The trumpet one is for anything the Lord has done in answering a prayer that we can hear about. And then the prayer requests, which are like, look like this on the back of your chair, or they're the blue ones. If you just put those prayer requests in there, they'll be prayed over at least once a month personally, individually. Okay, now before I start, I wanted, um, if David and Ellen would just stand a moment. I know you would not want this, but, so David and Ellen have been here 23 years, 26, and they're moving, and they've been a big part of our church for a long time. Their kids grew up here, so I would like to just give it up for these guys, uh, just to thank them. Maybe you don't know them or haven't known, but they're very, very involved. And then tonight, today at 1 o'clock, it's the conference room. There's going to be a little going away to, you know, just a drop-in thing to, to just say goodbye to these guys. So now you don't sit down. Yeah. Would you stand? We're in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to just read the first uh, from verse 14. We're going, to, we're going to actually look at this whole story this morning. But in, in Mark 6... Beginning in in, uh, verse 14 is where we're picking up our study through Mark. Mark 6, 14. Now, King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to hate your, to, to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, He did many things and heard him gladly. So, Lord, we thank you for your word again. Live and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of the heart. And, Lord, you've given it to us as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us ears, I pray, to hear, not only to hear, but to hear under. To hear the things and then to obey you. To respond to them in obedience to your word by the power of your Holy Spirit as believers. And Lord, also we would pray for anyone listening that doesn't know you. We know your word, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So Lord, we're thankful that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sin. And that you've granted to us this new covenant by grace through faith that we have eternal life. And this life is in in your son and he who has his son has life. So Lord, please, you also said he who does not have the son of God does not have life. So Lord, whoever that is that's listening You, Lord, are the one to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. You're the one that draws. You're the one that will do these things. We're just praying and asking you to do them even this morning, that someone might come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the gospel and living in everyday life. The gospel 
is something as believers that we live every day. The gospel is not just the pro proclamation of the truth, but it's living that truth. So we, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, someone said. The average life expectancy in the U.S. is 77.28 years. So it reminds us of the finite nature of life and the importance of making the most of the time that God has given us. And he is the one who holds our lives in his hands. Now, there are a lot of distractions that bombard us day by day, and it is a battle to sort out what really matters. And yet, we must do that. We must live them out, and by winning these little skirmishes that come along every day, in the battle for our minds, in the battle for our wills. Hebrews puts it this way, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And everyone said, amen. So he says, now King Herod heard of him, Jesus. King Herod Antipas was his name. For he comes from one messed up family. You talk about dysfunctional. The Herodian family was very dysfunctional. The entire family history is one of, the, of incessant brawls, suspicions, intrigue, and shocking immorality. Now, note, it was under the Herodian dynasty that Christ lived. Jesus came. He died and rose again. It was under this dynasty that the foundation of the Christian church was laid. In the worst of times, you might call it that. Herod the Great was Herod Antipas' father. He's the one the wise men came to and feigned as though he cared. He had all the babies then murdered, under two years old. He was a paranoid little man. He stood a towering four foot nine inches, always fearful that someone was going to take his throne. His paranoia motivated him to murder his first wife and son. His paranoia drove him to murder his second wife, Miriam, and after then, then the two sons by her. Someone said it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. One of these sons had a daughter named Herodias. He began to miss Miriam, saying that she was the only woman he ever loved. He mourned her death and built her a memorial tower. Now, when this all happened, he cooled down a bit at this point. He married another Miriam, he had another son, Herod Philip, who moved to Rome. Now, I'm going I'm to just rattle these things off, but if you can put it together, you're better than I am. <laughs> he became a wealthy businessman, this, this uh, Herod Philip. He married Herodias, his niece. They had a daughter named Salome. Herod the Great then married again, had another son, this, who is this Herod Antipas of our story. Herod Antipas became ruler over the Galilee area of his father's empire. He went to visit Herod Philip, fell in love with Herodias, talked her into leaving his brother, Herod Philip, and marrying him, which she did. They took her daughter, they took her daughter Salome with them to Galilee, which is where we're getting all this going on here. Now, John the Baptist was preaching at this time, and he knew what went on, and he called him out on it. Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, bound him in prison, verse 17, for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So he's calling him out 
on the truth. Now, Herodias was an arrogant, devious, and murderous woman. Verse 19, therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John. Interesting. Knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So this is, you got a dynamic going on in the family, the marriage right now. Herod protected John the Baptist from Herodias by putting him in prison to protect him from his own wife. So it's kind of a compromise to keep the peace in the marriage. A compromise, some, some surmise, may have actually kept Herod from repenting. Because he, had, he realized there's something different about John. Verse 21, that an opportune time came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want, I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give up to half my kingdom. So he went out and said to, so she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Now, this is pretty gruesome, pretty repulsive. Immediately, she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother, Salome, to Herodias. Now, I feel bad for young Salome. She was raised by such perversion. I feel sorry for a lot of children these days who are being indoctrinated in things that are so godless and repulsive that there is and, ha and needs to be a rising up of parents against what's going on in our public schools and our institutions. She was possibly as young as 12 years old, no older than 18. She was put out to dance, probably very seductively, by her mom. What kind of mom would do this thing? You have a dark perversion, evil, this family, pervasive. What kind of grown man would get off on such a thing? Finding pleasure by lustfully affirming such behavior, coaching it on. Again, I think of the people that are leading some of these things. And then the hideous request from her mom for her daughter to ask of the king. The ghastly picture of the girl hurrying to her mother with a head dripping, dripping with blood. Yuck. But listen, this was the everyday life of the Herodian family. Then we have verse 29. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So here's the death and burial of John the Baptist. This was the last day of his everyday life. And he didn't really know that was coming. And so thus the, the, the title, the gospel and living in everyday life is what I want to talk this morning. Three things, very simply. Live every day to be known by God. 
believers. If you're not a believer, live your life in understanding there is a God who loves you, died on the cross for you, and wants to give you life that is how he intended it in knowing him, walking with him. Secondly, live every day to be true to the truth. That is being so maligned. There's, a, there's no more objective, rational thinking as we look at what's going on. We need to live every day to be true to the truth. To live not by lies, a book. There's no reason to hide another book. And then live every day as if it's the last day of your life. It may well be. Live every day to be known by God. When Herod heard of him, where his name had become well known. So the first question is, as a Christian, is the name of Jesus becoming more well known through my life? Are people hearing about Jesus through my life? Now, we just, I just flew down and back to California. On the way down there, I got my seat, and I was sitting right next to this little, well, young 20-year-old little girl. She was a small. And I just said, do you know the Lord? And she did. And starting, so the, a lot of the flight, I was just talking to her about the things of God. It was fantastic. But she's got some stuff in her own family. It's very difficult. Her dad's a preacher, but he's been divorced three times. His mom, all those things. But she's, she loves the Lord. And I just encourage her, you keep loving the Lord. I said, do you have a boyfriend? Well, I said, well, you make sure that that boyfriend, whoever it is, is going to church already. You make sure that he loves the Lord. You make sure that he adores you and don't settle for less. It was fun. <laughs> you see, to be known by God is to make Jesus known to the world. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Verse 14. And therefore these powers are working. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it's the prophet or like one of the prophets. Live every day to be known by God. You see, when it's all said and done, what matters is what God knows you to be, not what people might think you are. Just a few passages make this very clear. In, in Job chapter 34, and Job went through some tough stuff. Yet, it says verse, in chapter 49, verse 19, yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. He put them there. In a moment they die in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without a hand. For his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. No one can hide from God. Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Because of Jesus Christ, we fear God in the way that we reverence him, we worship him, we adore him. But Jesus taken away the fear of death because through the cross, I have an assurance of what's going to happen. Hebrews. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Live every day to be known by God. How does he know you to be? Are you known by God as one who's agreed with him? 
beginning with confessing you're a sinner before him? Are you known by God as one who who believes that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life? That no one comes to the Father except through, have you agreed with God on that? I have. Many of you have. It's glorious. It's freedom. It's the gospel. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? Are you known by God as one who has bowed your knee before him? And he said, John the Baptist is risen, therefore these powers are working in him. When it's all said and done, what matters is what God knows you to be. And not what others might say you are. The applause of man is fickle at best and damning at worst. We all wrestle with that. We are living in a culture that says you can identify however you want. That is a lie. It's not true. Let me assure you that you are not John the Baptist. You are not Elijah. You are not the prophet or one of the prophets. Listen, you are you, and I am me. Profound, isn't that? And here's what I know. I'm loved by God for who I am. I'm uniquely created in his image, and so are you. And God wants us to know him personally for who he has created us to be. We are no less a person than the prophets or John the Baptist. We have no less a purpose for our lives than those men did. We were created to be known by God as ones who know him. And that is incredible. So Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue. Oh, Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before, laid your hand up. I mean, I love Psalm 139. Because he starts out, you have searched me. You do know me. There's not a word on my tongue. And then he says to end it, oh, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my, my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked with me and lead me in the way. In other words, God, I need you to show me who you've made me to be. I need you to show me what's going on in my life. Search me, oh God. And that is very safe that God would search us. Nahum, the Lord is good, a stronghold, and they have trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Matthew, I will declare, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You can't be living a life in sin and iniquity and say you know God. Can't do it. To know him is to depart from iniquity. It's to be changed radically. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Do you know the good shepherd? The great shepherd, the chief shepherd? 1 Corinthians, he talks about idolatry. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him, loving God. Not idolatry, not other things. Not fashioning God into the image we would like him to be, but loving him for who he has revealed himself to be, is to be known by God. Galatians, 
But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's idols, picking up on the same theme. But now after you have known God, notice, or rather are known by God. That's what came. God knew us, pursued us, saved us. How is it that you turn again to weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? To all the seven churches, Jesus said, I know your works. The churches. He knows. Live every day to be known by God. Live every day with the gospel as the goal. Preaching it and living it. To make Jesus known and to know God through it. But then also, this came to mind. Live every day with a cleansed and clear conscience. That is the glory of the gospel. Live every day with a clear, cleansed conscience. That's ours who are believers. It is the faculty by which we apprehend the will of God as that which is designed to govern our lives from, a, from Vine, who's a Greek scholar. So it's that sense of guiltiness before God. That thought process which distinguishes between morally good or bad, commending the good, condemning the bad, prompting to do the good and avoid the bad. That's the conscience at work. It appears Herod was living with a guilty conscience, while Herodias had a seared and evil conscience. When Herod heard, he said, this is John. He just, it's got to be John because of what he did to him. He said, oh, Come back to haunt me. Herodias held it against him, and she just wants to kill him. No conscience. Now, in Romans chapter 2, it says, There is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So the, the law was given to work in conjunction with our conscience. For when Gentiles who do not have law, by nature do those things contained in the law, these, although not having law, are law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, there it is, also bearing witness, and between themselves are thoughts accusing or executing. That's what's going on with Herod. That the conscience is still there. He's saying, no, and there's this battle going on. Seems it's probably weighted toward the wrong conscience, the bad conscience. In the day when God will judge, look at this, will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Jesus. God's general revelation of himself as good and demanding good confronts all men with moral responsibility. It's a conscience. David, su David suffered these pangs. Now, it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him. King James says it smote him because he had cut Saul's robe. That's a whole story we could go into. But David's conscience was sensitive, and he cut the robe of the king, and, got, and he said, oh, I lifted up my hand against King Saul. He could have killed him in the, in the cave. He wouldn't do it. But even cutting his robe, just his conscience... 2 Samuel says, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. Conscience is the pain suffered by man when he's done wrong. That's your conscience. Live every day with a clear and cleansed conscience before God through the gospel. Our conscience, the faculty by which we apprehend the moral demands of God, 
it causes pain, we fall short of those commands, can be inadequately instructed and disciplined. It can be weakened. It can become defiled. It can become insensible and ultimately seared. Conscience, said an Indian, is a three-cornered thing in my heart that stands still when I am good, but when I am bad, it turns around and the corners hurt a lot. If I keep on doing wrong, the corners wear off and it doesn't hurt anymore. I've shared that one before. I th that's my favorite illustration of the conscience. It is essential for the conscience to be educated and informed through the Word of God by the Holy Spirit of God. Faith cannot be separated from a clear, cleansed conscience. We're operating in a realm of what God has declared about our conscience and about his forgiveness and about our freedom. In fact, Paul said, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things don't help. So Paul understood in his conscience, he understood there are things that will bring me into bondage. There's things that will tear me down. There are things I'm just not going to do it. By repentance and faith, man is delivered from the pangs of a guilty conscience at the cross. Faith is the means whereby our conscience is quickened and instructed. To walk in newness of life is a life growing in faith through which the Christian is open to the influence of the Holy Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. This is the forging of a clear, cleansed, good conscience by the Word of God through the Holy Spirit of God and then walking that out as I need to and making it to the cross regularly. Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Man and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. As far as Paul understood in his conscience, he was doing what God would have him do. Now, interesting, he was wrong. And God met him through Jesus Christ and fully flipped that whole understanding. And we need Christ. In fact, when I, again, I think of our, what's going on in our nation, what's happening in our schools and institutions, this indoctrinating of these evil things. What is the need? Not to be simplistic, but the need is simply our children need Jesus Christ, the truth of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to unwind some of these things that are so hideous. I'm reading a book right now. It is so hideous. Stolen Youth is the name of the book. It's hideous what, what is going on. You know that. I know that. What's the need? The need is Jesus Christ. The need is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to begin to unwind some of these lies. It is negative in that it is the instrument of moral judgment and is painful. But it is positive in that God is God's means of witness and guidance through Jesus Christ, the Word of God, in all aspects of the believer's sanctification. Living every day is living with a clear, cleansed conscience before God through Jesus Christ. It's fabulous. Herod tried to ignore his conscience. And the conscience is a coward when it comes to faults. It has not enough strength to prevent it, and that's why we need a change of heart and mind through the power of the Holy Spirit through salvation. Lawmen 
understood psychology. On opening hunting day, game wardens put this sign on the main road, check station 1,000 yards ahead. At 500 yards, there was a convenient side road. Lawful hunters went straight ahead. Over limit and doubtful hunters ducked down the side road. The check station was 500 yards down the side road. <laughs> what happens with a, when we ignore conscience? Irrational superstitions become superstitious. These powers are at work is what he said. Increasing paranoia. I remember when I was not living for the Lord, not while I went, and a hippie and smoking pot, and I was like, you want to talk? In fact, there was uh, Buffalo Springfield had a line, paranoia strikes deep. And you're looking around all the time, waiting for the cops to bust you. There, when the guilt, with a guilty conscience unattended to, becomes easily manipulated. For the sake of Herodias, he did what he did. There's inner conflict and confusion, trying to live with both. There's insincere sorrow. The sorrow of the world produces death. Sorry for his own skin, but not his own sin. Godly sorrow that, we're, that is not repentant. And so he murdered an innocent prophet by not tending to his guilty conscience and dealing with it as God would have him to. Herodias rejected conscience. The scripture in Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out. She became angry and bitter. Many times, that's the root of a lot of problems. Rejecting conscience. She became very devious. And she became dangerous, murderous. Now, John the Baptist obeyed his conscience. And though he was hated and imprisoned, he knew God. He was known by God. He knew God's law is clear. It does not bend. Its righteous demands remain righteous demands. He knew God's law condemned as guilty before him. He knew God's law convicts. It convicts of the need of repentance. Herod, it's not lawful. You know, if it doesn't matter how we live, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? You see, that's how serious sin is, and that's how serious God is about his relationship with you, with me. It matters to God because we matter to God. John had said to her, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, Leviticus chapter 18, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. Leviticus, again, if a man takes his brother's wife, is an unclean thing, has uncovered his brother's nakedness, they shall be childless. There's, there's consequences. And John about saying, it's not lawful for you to do these things. We know that Jesus came to die and mediate the new covenant. That is our refuge. 
in Hebrews 9. It, that is the earthly sanctuary and service, tabernacle, was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect regard to conscience. Concerning with foods and drinks, various washings, fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not maybe that, that is himself, not of this creation, not with the blood of bull, goats and calves, with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God without spot or blemish, cleanse your conscience from good works to serve the living God? I say, yeah. That's our answer. To live with a clear and cleansed conscience, a clean conscience, is to come to the cross and come back to the covenant that God gave to us by which these things are dealt with in reality and for eternity. Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice, purifying the cleansing through the covenant. Live every day to be known by God. Live every day with a cleansed and clear conscience. George Washington said, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. Keep, live every day. A cleansed, clear conscience. In Hebrews chapter 4, here's how it works. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to divide piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, as, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We've, you've heard it from me a million, well, maybe not a million, but a few times. The, word of, the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to change our lives. To keep the lamp on our feet where I am and on my path where I'm going, the Word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against. It says that I won't, but I might not. See, there's still choice. There's still the battles that we go through. The flesh loves against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to another. So you don't always do the things that you want, but oh, my heart has changed. I want to do those things that are pleasing to God. To God. And Paul in Romans, you go there easily. He, in Romans, he's dealing with that battle that we have between the flesh and the spirit. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The two laws are still active, but I have victory through Jesus Christ in the spirit, to walk a sanctified life and a cleansed and clear conscience before God, just like Paul said. Second thought. That was my longest one. <laughs> Live every day to be, truth, to be true to the truth. Live every day with conviction and courage. That's ours through the gospel. John the Baptist lived his life with conviction and courage. When corruption and evil run more and more rampant, the convictions in our hearts from the Holy Spirit never run. No reason to hide. Courage does not run away. Courage runs through it. John the Baptist never ran away from what, was, what God was doing. He had no idea what was going to happen. Jesus never ran away, never did, obviously. 
But let me tell you, the apostles did run. The apostles forsook Jesus. Paul, uh, rather, Peter denied Christ, even the point of swearing. But you know what Jesus did? He says, don't worry, help is coming. John chapter 14, about the Holy Spirit. He says, when you go to Jerusalem, you wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus sent into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. Those who were running away before are now standing courageously in public squares, even to the point of death and martyrdom. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Acts. I was going through the book of Acts and actually through the New Testament. I got a, a lot of scripture that I won't go into, but over and over, you read in the book of Acts, they came with boldness. They were just persecuted. They came back with boldness and boldness and boldness. And one of those scriptures says, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, day of Pentecost, and perceived they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized they'd been with you. Have you been with Jesus? You see, that's the difference. Filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with Jesus, that with all, they prayed after being persecuted or threatened, they prayed, Lord, they said, look on their threats. See what they're doing. And grant to your servant that with all boldness we may speak your word. Do you need a re-upping of boldness? Do you need a renewal of what we're fighting for and who we're fighting with and what God has given to us in speaking the word with boldness? Barnabas took Paul and said, with all boldness, Paul, Saul of Tarsus was changed radically and had to be brought to the disciples and say, hey, he was preaching boldly about Jesus. That's the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in Antioch, in the Iconium, and, and Apollos, all of them speaking boldly, boldly, boldly. Paul in Ephesians, that wonderful chapter 6 of the spiritual battle, he said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, Paul said, and would you pray for me? That utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in change, that in it I may speak what? Boldly as I ought to speak. Oh, Lord, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Grant us courage. Grant us conviction. Grant us boldness. Because we have a world out there that is lost and going to hell. And they need to hear the gospel. It needs to be a conversation. Live every day being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. How does that happen? I've shared this before, but I'll give it to you because I think it's so important to be reminded. I call it my ABC. How am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Number one, ask up in prayer. If you being evil and have good gifts, how much will, will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who work really hard, are really bold, are really courageous? No, to those who ask. Ask up in prayer. Believe in the promise. This promise to you and to your children, all those who are going to believe. The promise of the Holy Spirit is to everyone who has been born again by the Spirit of God. The person of the Holy Spirit, the power. So ask up in prayer, believe in the promise, and then I simply say carry on in the power. It's promised, I've asked, I'm believing that God is going and has filled me with the Spirit, and I'm going to walk in the Spirit. 
And it's, again, the, the faith element. So I may not feel anything. I may not, but I know in whom I believed. I know that this promise to me is of a continual being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Whatever that looks like, call it whatever you want. The bottom line is we need to be living every day filled with the Holy Spirit. So when you wake up in the morning, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? If there's sin to confess at nighttime, then confess that. Ask the Lord to cleanse you according to what we just read in in Hebrews, and walk with a clear, cleansed conscience by faith before God. You've confessed these things. You've turned for them. You're seeking, to change, you're, you're seeking your life to be changed in maybe matters that you keep falling into. But God the Holy Spirit is our only hope. If anything's going to be transformed, if there's going to be any sanctification, it's going to be by the Spirit of God. And I say, amen. Ask up in prayer, believe in the promise, carry on the power. And the final thought, live every day as if it's the last day of your life. When his disciples heard of it, verse 29, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. They had no idea. One day to the next, they'd be burying John the Baptist. So here's what I wrote. Live every day thankful for God's faithful covenant love. As though it's the last day. Live every day thankful for God's goodness and grace. Live every day thankful that this world is not our home. The Bible is a supreme book. There's not even a close second as in gaining an eternal perspective, in living an eternal perspective. Other books help us gain traction. I mentioned a couple already. The best books, I believe, awaken us to the eternal perspective that's founded in the truth and faithful to things that are real and that really matter. Those are the books that, that give us traction in our culture. By the way, thank you for my 70th birthday. It was fantastic. 840 months. And I'm still above ground. I wanted to show you, I might have shown, I can't remember, but I, I have this, these two vases up in my office. So the right one with a, that's grandpa and grand, grandson walking. Those are all the months, 840, that I've lived so far. I don't know if this is weird or not, but. And then the, the left-hand vase has a little card there. And I sent away for 1,000 marbles, because I wanted to do this, and I got 1,041. So I look at that as prophetic. I'm going, to be, I'm going to live to be 86 years old and 10 months. You've got, you got to deal with me for another few years. So every 17th day of the month, I take one marble out, and I put it in the other thing. Is that weird? On that card, Psalm 39, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days that I may, gain, that I may know how frail I am. I'm learning how frail I am more and more. Psalm 90, so teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Ephesians 5, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. So every month, <laughs> reminded. We have a, a Calvary Chapel pastor Zoom prayer meeting every Tuesday, a half hour. And we've gone on this Tuesday and just found out that Pastor Al Frederick, 
who was from the Kelso Longview Calvary. He's a pastor at Calvary. He, he died Monday night. Didn't get to his 60th birthday. Suddenly. Have you heard Tim Keller passed away? He was 72. It's interesting what Steve Jobs said. If you live each day as it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Not sure where he is. Here's what Jimi Hendrix said. I'm the one that's, I'm the one that's got to die when it's time for me to die, so let me live my life the way I want to. Oh, and God will allow that. He died at 27 years old by drowning on his own vomit. Janice Joplin was, 20, was only 27 years old when she died from a heroin overdose. Brian Jones, the original leader of the Rolling Stones, was just 27 years old when he died. They got this 27 club. It's really kind of crazy. Jim Morrison of the Doors died when he was 27 years old. You can live like you want, but these, that's what these people were doing. Ian Fleming, who wrote the books, the James Bond series, you only, you only live twice, once when, you, when you're born and once when you look death in the face. Max Licato, we see a hearse, we think sorrow. We see a grave, we think despair. We hear of death, we think of loss, of a loss. Not so in heaven. When heaven sees a breathless body, it sees the vacated cocoon and the liberated butterfly, unquote. That's, if I can leave you these verses. A good name, Ecclesiastes, is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Live our lives as though it's the last day. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools in the house of mirth. Party on, it's foolish. 1 Corinthians, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Can I have the worship team come out? Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the, de the trumpet will sound, and the dead will ri be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall we brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Live our lives as though it's the last day. We're going to meet Jesus today. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Would you say amen to that? Let's stand and worship together, and I'll close in prayer.